from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Good morning to all of you. It is Wednesday, February 7th. Happy Wednesday to all of you. G is out today. Our resident historian, Felix Bennell, is in our co-pilot seat. Good morning. Good morning, Ursula. How are you it's doing? It's been a long time, so yeah, it's going to be yeah, a lot of fun. Great to be here. I must have, the list must have, they must have got to the bottom of the list and said, who can we oh. call to come fill in for G on Wednesday? Maybe we can get Felix. He's he's always available. Don't, <laughs> don't underestimate yourself. Hey, we have a very packed show for you, as always. Felix and our transportation expert, Chris Sullivan, coming up at 930. They're going to take us on a nostalgic trip. <laughs> to what some critics may describe as Seattle's biggest boondoggle. <laughs> I don't think those words came up when Chris and I were, were exploring I my favorite I piece know. of local infrastructure. Yes, we will have some fun with that. Uh, we have a very full f- show for you. As always, we invite you to join us on our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line, 888-973-5476, cairo And if you're not doing it already, make sure that you sign up, subscribe to our podcast. So if you miss any part of the show, you will be able to catch up and you will just get all the inside jokes and you'll just be part of the G and Ursula <laughs> Wait, there, show family. Are there inside jokes yeah, on the well, show? We, uh, we try on occasion. We try on occasion. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Our top stories now brought to you by Wayscar Ford Isuzu in Auburn. And Felix, we're now learning that four bolts that would have kept a door plug in place were not installed when Boeing delivered the 737 MAX 9 to Alaska Airlines. The NTSB has now released its preliminary investigation into the midair blowout of that exit door, and it found that the door plug was apparently opened at Boeing's Renton factory so that a team from the supplier company Spirit Aerosystems in Kansas could repair the damaged rivets. And mm-hmm. it's still unclear exactly who is to blame for the actual problem. Well, it seems from this NTSB thing that Spirit did that work to repair the rivets and it was a Boeing crew there at that historic Renton factory where they built the B-29, where they built the 707, this like major cultural force in this region for decades. Some Boeing worker there apparently didn't reinstall those bolts. That's the worst possible news for Boeing in this most recent hiccup with their safety, their focus on safety, and their lack of focus on safety. It, it, it it's, really it's, is. It's sending shockwaves through this whole community, I think. It, it is. And I want to talk to you about that because you have uh, some inside sources or people who have worked to, uh, at Boeing who have talked to you about that. But aviation expert Jeff Wise says that incident on January 5th really could have been catastrophic. The captain said his head was pushed into the heads up display and his headset was pushed up nearly far. Falling off his head. So even though this was back in the back of the plane where the store plug came out, the discombobulation that occurred was severe enough that even up in the cockpit, behind the closed cockpit door, there was this commotion. Okay, I want you to visualize this. The, the plane was flying over Portland when the door blew out at 16,000 feet. This is the the picture that I can't get out of my head. A mom had to hang on to her teenage Mm -hmm. son who was seated near that gaping hole. His clothing had already been ripped from his upper body, sucked out into the air. Mm. Uh, And again, thankfully, apparently there were some injuries, but they were relatively minor. Most people are belted in because they're in the climb out. It's a part of that. They just took off. Everyone's still belted in. There's no beverage service. If you go like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes later that are higher altitude where the intense, the pressure difference when that happens is going to be so much more intense. There'll be plenty of people not belted in. It could have been a deadly disaster. Absolutely. Really lucked out. And in in the wake of all this, uh, you know, Boeing has been under great scrutiny. 
and, and you know, given the relatively recent crashes too. I mean, With Boeing has already twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen exactly. Yeah, no, no, so I mean, Boeing with the seven eighty seven. Right, exactly. So, so Boeing says, well, we've added our you know uh, additional inspections in both factories. We've asked airlines to send teams in. Alaska Airlines, you know, they've got now a skit on SNL and yeah, and, was, and they which was yeah exactly was brilliant. That was very funny, yeah. but. I wanted to hear from people who've spoken with you. You are like me. We've lived here a long time. Yeah. My, Someone was accusing me of being anti-Boeing. I'm like, no, I want Boeing to win. No, and everybody does because we all depend on them for, for traveling safely. But, you know, I, I, I remember being an elementary school kid back in the 70s. You on the playground. You could point up. Kids knew what that's a 727. You know, that's a DC. You knew what a Boeing plane was because it was just the culture was was steeped in it. And you have all that World War II history, like I mentioned, the B-29s built in Renton, the B-17s built down along Boeing Field. So much intense pride about really the, the region's first high-tech company. If you look at what a B-17 took to put together in the 1930s, so many wires, so many different controls. It's just the most intense piece of high technology that kind of gave birth to this whole region still being this kind of high-tech area. But then you had the, the merger with McDonnell Douglas 25 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, this focus on the shareholders, the moving of the headquarters from Seattle to Chicago. I, I don't know where it day. is now. And then, you know, the, the non-union plants in South Carolina, just this sort of the diffusion of what had been this very safety-focused company to this very shareholder-based company. And I have a relative who worked at Boeing for a long time, and I got a text from them this morning about specifically about this. And what this, what this relative said is, sloppy, qual- sloppy quality assurance, disgusting, total breakdown in the repair process and inspection process, absolutely an unforgivable situation. Head of quality control should be fired for tolerating and cultivating a culture where that behavior exists. Someone had to know that four bolts were left over after that door was repaired and reinstalled and was too lazy or scared to say anything. The manufacturing process I knew, this is like from the 80s to, you know, 20 years ago, would never have had four extra of anything laying around when a job was completed and bought off. I mean, it's just like... It's it's high tech. It's like it's like what what NASA used to do, where you have like the checklist and everything. There never would have been an instance of somebody forgetting to reinstall four bolts on a part that's ultimately going to cause the plane to have a terrible incident. Well, and then the, the, they found out there were other uh, <clears throat> issues with other planes, and that's now caused additional delays. Yeah, and, you know, and, and planes are complex, and there always will be issues yes. that come up around technology. But when it's something as simple as someone not having a checklist and not checking off the fact that there are these four extra bolts, gee, I wonder where these go. It just makes you wonder what else have they missed? What other what other things are going to what other when the other shoe will drop? What's going to happen with the next time there's a Boeing incident? That's because of some oversight like this. And it, it it's sad because even though Boeing did move their headquarters away 20 years ago, I still feel this like in my heart. I feel this deep connection. Like there's this Apple Plus TV show called Masters of the Air. It's all about the B-17 crews bombing Europe, and it's Austin Butler who played Elvis. Yes, and he still has his Elvis act. Like, Come on, we're going to Germany to bomb the Nazis. It sounds like Elvis going to bomb the Nazis. It's very incongruous. Anyway, but they're flying these B-17s. And it's so it's such a gorgeous plane. And you just I, I still I feel this sense of pride. Like that was designed and built here. That's that's yes. Boeing. That's so, us. Oh, this just hurts. Do you do you think that Boeing can get back to that place where how we thought of it? See, that's the thing. Once you have when you have de- when you have a decades long reputation for being safety focused, and then it you it's easy to maintain. But once you lose it, it's really hard to get back. I think it'll take years, if not decades, probably some kind of management shakeup. Some kind of very transparent process that, that, that really figures out what really happened with this particular incident and lays it all on the line clearly. And some new leader who states, like, we're going back to the way it used to be when we yeah. were safety focused, not focused on just shareholder value. And I'm hearing that over and over again. Yeah. I will say that when the last time we talked about this uh, 
Boeing story we heard from an Alaska Airlines captain who was upset with our yeah. coverage saying, you know, the uh, 737 MAX 9, uh, th- there really haven't been uh, big problems and, and you're making too big of a deal, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I, I think when you're talking about aircraft that can carry a lot of people, even if it's um, these, this perception of, hey, there's a, there, there's a possibility that there could be a, a safety error or, or that pe- people aren't taking it as seriously as they should. I mean, that is a huge problem, even if you can say, well, there just hasn't been an incident involving these planes, these planes that yeah. are already on the air. The plane, you yeah. know, the, um, And this was having to do with the icing system and, and because that was another issue that was brought up, like the yeah. FAA saying uh, that something catastrophic could happen potentially um, and that they need to not ask for that exemption. Boeing had asked for an exemption uh, on the okay. safety yeah, yeah. feature. Um, and this Alaska Airlines captain was like, you know, it's not a big deal. FAA is making a big deal. It's all political. Political. I mean, Boeing has a huge PR issue right now. Absolutely. And that, that ultimately affects the economy because it means it, it affects their ability to sell jets overseas. And there were, we see Airbus already making greater gains than they've had in the last four or five years since the MAX problem re- came out. So, I mean, that is the thing about air travel. It's become so safe. We've taken for granted. There have been so few yes, crashes in the last God. decade plus. You know, the last major airline incident was 9-11. And that was all human caused, right? And jets, well, when, when they're, when they're put the, together the properly. The, we had two crashes. I mean, in the U.S. I'm sorry. Domestically yeah, here yes, in the U.S. Yes, and uh, yeah, that's that's my myopic uh, focus on the U.S. But anyway, um, but the, it's it is such a safe thing. You look at propeller planes from the '60s and you know the '50s and '40s; those are crashing all the time because there was these 18 piston engines. All sorts of things could go wrong. And through all this high tech that stuff that Boeing did, it created this very safe thing for which we have very high expectations, and we should maintain those expectations. Yeah. We shouldn't yeah. let them slide back and like have us. Well, you know, sometimes this is going to happen. No, the culture has changed, and the culture needs to be changed back. There's no other way to to say it. A- Exactly. Okay, we have an update because 90 Venezuelan migrant refugee families who were facing eviction from a Kent hotel will apparently get another break thanks to the city of Seattle. The mayor's office says the city will now pay for them to stay at two other hotels for an additional three weeks. So late last month, G and I talked about this. We reported that families at the Kent hotel were given a one week extension thanks to the city. But now the city of Seattle is going to pay for their hotel stays through February 26th to, quote, address this immediate humanitarian need. As spokesman for the mayor says, the money's going to come from funds that had previously been set aside in the city budget for migrant issues. And then what? <laughs> what happens on February exactly. 27th? I mean, this obviously this and this Venezuelan uh, the, the families of migrants here. I hadn't been hadn't I kind of missed this story in the last year, but they started showing up at this church in Federal Way back in uh, the no, spring. No, in, oh, in Tequila, Tequila. Sorry, Riverton. Yeah, yeah in yeah. Tequila. The, the church was and, and the church uh, pastor had no idea like how people were getting the word, but they yeah. were just taking them in, taking them in, and then the weather changed and the the living conditions were horrible. And so remember when the, we had the icy days. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah, so they went to a, a hotel and then these, this uh, group, uh, Advocates for the ho- uh, Homeless or this uh, Advocates for Migrants, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know which particular group, they don't even know, but they'd promised payment and the payment never came. So the hotel said, we got to, you know, we, we got to kick you out. Yeah. So city, th- they went to City Hall, found sympathetic ears and uh, now they're going to pay for an additional three weeks. My question is, 
So then what? Yeah, because obviously this seems like a federal issue, number one, to have refugees from a foreign country just showing up and needing housing. And then it seems like this part or a greater part of this big dysfunction around how we manage mig- the migrant crisis, people coming over the border from Venezuela, which has had major political problems. People coming from Venezuela can get asylum here in the U.S., but there's no infrastructure to support it. And it's not like we have a lot of housing lying around that people aren't using right now anyway. And my, my dad was a refugee after World War II. He was a displaced person. He needed a place to go. His government found housing for him in England after he escaped from Poland. But you know, this is this, this crisis on a huge scale that doesn't seem to be anybody really kind of thinking about what's down yeah. the road six months from now. Well, they're pointing to um, the state uh, lawmakers in Olympia who are talking about this proposal for $8 million for this very issue. Yeah. Also, the Senate is expected to vote today on a huge border deal. Uh, among the components of that border deal would be thousands of asylum officers as well as judges to ex- expedite the asylum cases because right now these people are waiting an average of four years for a hearing. They have a legal right to be here, but they don't have a legal right to work. Which is, again, insane. Yeah. Oh, man. So anyway, so they've got an additional couple of weeks and I've seen I've seen there is a lot of sentiment like, wait a minute, why are we helping people who are not from here when we've got people who are living here right now who don't have these accommodations? Yeah. And, and that's a, a whole nother thing. Uh, I look at it, it is a humanitarian. Exactly, yeah, yeah, it is a humanitarian crisis. But like, what's next? So in case you missed it, Seattle has a social housing developer and the group behind creating that position has now filed an initiative to uh, impose a 5% payroll tax on businesses with employees who make over $1 million. So the Seattle Times is reporting that if this is successful, this tax could raise as much as $50 million a year to go toward new affordable housing. So with that money, the group House Our Neighbors campaign or this campaign estimates that it could build 2,000 affordable units over the next 10 years. And the group argues that right now there's no level of government that has an actual plan to address our housing crisis, especially for lower and working class households. Yeah. And, you know, there's clearly a need, right? There's clearly, I actually, again, I'd forgotten that we all voted to create this whole no, housing we all, authority. We all did not. <laughs> well, I mean, what, did it pass it like 70% or <laughs> it something? It did. It passed really crazy numbers with no funding mechanism. Yes, I did, I did not that? vote for it because yeah. there was no funding mechanism. And, but, the, you know, the city and the state stepped up to fund it for 18 months to give it kind of get it off the ground, Right. Yeah, this again, so, this is yeah, this is in the city of and, Seattle. So and I think about the Amazon head tax from 10 years ago, that whole debacle and how that played out. I wonder how much this new group is sort of gone and met with these leaders of these companies that were likely to have people at this payroll to say, like, um, here's what we're thinking. Not much. What do you That's think? why they're going the initiative route. See, OK, yeah, they're yeah. going through the initiative route because they're figuring that the new city council is not as likely to approve new taxes yeah. as the old city council. But you got to at least talk to people, though, because the initiative can be, then the opponents can then pay money to sort of have your initiative process shut down because they don't like it, because they feel like they haven't been consulted. you got to actually talk to people and have kind of a dialogue about what you're trying to accomplish okay. and then see what the compromise, what the middle ground is, right? Is that, here, am I here, being a Pollyanna yeah. again? Well, here's, get back here's, to Boeing and here's my thing. No. <laughs> here's my thing. See, already has, Seattle has that payroll tax on large businesses. It is raising up to $300 million a year. Uh, So my question is, so and unlike that tax, okay, this payroll taxes would not exempt grocery stores or healthcare companies. 
So, again, I, I just have this general feeling like we keep getting asked, and I live in the city of Seattle, so yeah, do, I do you. Too. Yeah, yeah. Like, another tax, another tax, another tax. Yep. Now, this is for large businesses. This would not affect me. Yeah, I'm not paid but, over a million dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I understand the sentiment. Like, what are we doing with the money that we have? Yeah, and, and if we are doing stuff with it, who's actually telling the story? That's the big, I, I yeah. always bring this up. The biggest failure is the storytelling and just the narrative and kind of leading through persuasion. It's all just about like one crisis after another. We need to fund this or this. these people are going to suffer and be kicked out in the cold. But no one's saying like, here's what we're all going to do. Here's how you, Ursula, can help. Here's how you, Felix, or you, this is what we're all going to do together. Yes. Here's where we're going to move us down the field. There is no leadership. In, and I love Bruce Harrell. Best mayor we've had in, in decades. I agree but with that. He's still not out there articulating and leading the way he should and the way we all need someone to lead us through a very complex set of issues. Chef, real quick. I, I don't know that this is an efficient way of doing it. I mean, 2,000 units in 10 years, if you're going to be raising $50 million a year, again, you could be sending yeah. almost 5,000 people 1000 bucks a month, and we got to wait a decade for 2,000 homes? That's just it. I mean... And when people start talking about that homeless and industrial complex, this is the kind of thing that just fuels that whole narrative. Okay, still ahead, we're going to take a, a trip down memory lane. Have any, have any of you used the Seattle Tunnel? In, how old is it now? It's five. It's its fifth birthday. It's its fifth birthday, and I've used it twice. <laughs> That's terrible. I, I use it twice a day sometimes. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. Sully's going to join us, and there's a new development when, when it comes to light rail as well. So we'll talk about that next on the G and Ursula Show. The G and Ursula show. G is out today. Felix Bunnell is in, and we are going to be talking about what some consider Seattle's biggest boondoggle, costing $3.3 billion. That's if not you... a nice way to talk about Chris Sullivan, calling him a boondoggle. It'll all become apparent when I, when I set this up for you. Because remember, it opened two years late because of that infamous, or longer than that, three years late. Yeah. Because of uh, Bo- Bertha, yeah, uh, the yeah. infamous boring machine that got yeah. stuck just a thousand feet into her underground journey, and now we're looking maybe See, fondly back at this yeah, five-year anniversary. All those problems that you mentioned, no one's thought of those in the last five years. Those just that's the, that's the beauty that the the memory just wipes clean when the new piece of infrastructure delayed for five, ten, or a hundred years finally opens up. It's just all, it's all about what's there to celebrate. So it was on Monday, February fourth, twenty nineteen. Year before the pandemic, uh-huh. uh, there was a big snowstorm on the night of Sunday, February third, and somehow I got wind that Chris Sullivan was going to take a, a, one of the old Cairo branded Subarus <laughs> and drive through the tunnel right after it opened, and there was going to be a videographer. I think Michael Simeone was going to. It was in. a Ford. 
It was a I'm Ford? not a Subaru guy. Oh, no, oh, it was a Ford. So was? I take okay. offense Sorry. to that. <laughs> I know. All right. Okay. Part of Subaru, I, love you guys. I, I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, accuracy is important. Um, and I somehow I got wind. I invited myself along. Yeah, you hey, did. Can I go on that? I want to be the historian on the thing. And you, and you agreed. I don't know if I cornered you and you said yes. That would be so fine. You and Chris. So Chris, Sully, and Felix on a snowy day. Yep. Dressed like a Swedish techno <laughs> band is what some people said because we have our, have our black hats on and our red Cairo jackets. We look like we're about to do and a video. And our good friend Michael Simeona in the back was handling the cameras because okay. he set up cameras on the front and around and he was uh, kind of and it, so we, and we, we started a video and this this is what it sounded like all right good morning everybody and welcome to a very unusual first day of the seattle tunnel uh chris sullivan here and i'm being joined by felix Bunnell, our resident historian doing something in real time not waiting 20 years or 100 years for it to happen uh no one will ever say that we did not drive the tunnel on the first day because as you will see as we drive uh we have pretty big snowstorm that hit overnight so yes this will be a drive in the snow into a nice warm and dry tunnel and then a drive into the snow and back around so welcome to the 99 tunnel day one in a snowstorm. See, it's all about the content. We're giving people stuff to write, listen, read, and, <laughs> and think about. Too, yeah, visualize. Right? Yeah, okay. definitely. So that was a fun day, but I've only driven that tunnel, I think, two or three times. I, I just don't get to drive through it enough. It's beautiful. It's cool. very yeah. clean. And then that, well that, put together. that day five years ago, I remember the new tunnel smell. Oh, it was so, it's so, so fresh and brand new. It was new. nice. And, yeah. And you it can smelled. drive really new fast through it because usually the t- there's, I haven't seen any much congestion in there ever. At times I've used it even in rush hour. I know we had the pandemic in the middle of all of it. And it, even when you get a crash year, though, it can kind of bog because there's only yeah. a certain amount of lanes in each direction and you're and you're stuck. Uh, but it hasn't happened too bad. I thought for certain we would have some issues in there with some of the transitions, especially because, you know, the lanes seem a little thin. It's, it, it seems a little thinner than it is yeah. uh, width wise, but no, it, it works well. I mean, it's a great little, a great little, you know, way so to was, get around it, it downtown. It's worth the wait and the extra expense. Sure. The- well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's got it's got many more decades of useful oh, life, which it will yes. pay for itself again and again and again. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I agree because I mean, yeah. it's a great way to get to the stadium district to yep. avoid I five. It's a great way to get into South Lake Union if people ever start returning there. Uh, <laughs> it's a great way to get back and forth to the West Seattle Bridge now that that's back open. <laughs> Uh, oh, so no, it, it's that. a it's a really good way to to bypass downtown, and the toll's manageable. What is it, a buck fifty now, or whatever? It's up to. I haven't paid too much attention, but yeah, I mean, to go back, you kind of forget the daily drama. I mean, this they broke ground that t- Bertha started in July of 2013. <sighs> wow. And we didn't get into the tunnel until 2019. Three years behind schedule, a billion dollars over budget. And, I so mean, for just, people listening and going, Bertha, what's Bertha? Bertha was the, at the time, largest, single largest boring machine, <laughs> which is another phrase we which use was for Felix. Which no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was the single largest bore. It had a 57 and a half foot diameter cutting head. That was the biggest cutting head in the world at that time. They had to bring it over here it from Japan. Sounds like a razor commercial. In pieces, yeah. yeah. And then put it together. Uh, and, you know, a thousand feet in, three weeks into the dig, it uh, it hit something. 
Um, it just couldn't move. Which may or may not have actually ever existed <clears throat> because it disappeared from existence. Oh, that's right. Uh, and then it also yeah, overheated. And so there were big concerns that people were pushing the drill too hard and too fast and not paying attention to it. And they stripped the gears. And they built and that, that big access So they had tunnel. to have to build a, about all that. the way down. Yeah, they had to build an access cool. tunnel for two years <laughs> to get down to where the cutter head was to fix the cutter head. That's right. Because they blew all the bearings and everything in it. Uh, from hitting a pipe, yeah, <laughs> or overheating it uh, by driving it too fast, um, and so yeah, I mean, there, I mean, at two years del- of, of yes. this whole saga, where every day we were down there Very talking exciting. to people about, oh my gosh, you know, what are we going to do? Who who's going to pay? How much? And you know, there's still you know, there's still court filings over this, over the what that I think they may have just settled recently. Yeah. I'm not sure, but two three hundred million dollars and you know four hundred million dollars in cost overruns and who had to pay and who didn't pay. Yeah, it was quite. The drama. What do Chris? people call it now? I was, I'm sorry, I was always trying to figure out a good nickname for it. I wanted to call it the Paul Theory Tunnel. He's the architect who, in the late 40s, said, Don't build the viaduct tunnel under downtown. He predicted it, you know, 60 years in advance. Did, I, what do people call it? Is this the tunnel? No, it's 99, 99, 99 Tunnel. tunnel. Yeah, Seattle I, think, tunnel. That, I think we're stuck we with We could have named it after yeah. Gregoire since she was the one who, you know, really pushed for <laughs> it when, governor. when the yeah. city didn't want it yeah. uh, and kind of forced it through. Well, I guess there's still but, time to Chris, I, I got a question because, as nostalgic as I am for the days of hearing words like Seattle Tunnel Partners, <laughs> From STP, 18, we like to call them. From 18 months ago, I'm reading a headline. State route tunnel is bleeding money as toll revenue forecasts plunge. Is it still, quote, bleeding money? Uh, technically, yes. Because, oh, good. Well, because the, it's supposed to raise $200 million of the, of the building budget uh, for with tolls. And through the pandemic, no one was using it. Just like 520, no one was still, using it. Still so we're no still behind. It? No, I mean, it, it's coming back. 99 is actually coming back. Some of the latest toll projections show it coming back where 520 still is struggling. Mm. 405 is back, 167 is back, 16 never really left. Yeah, we don't want it just um, to look pretty. No. We, it needs to be used. Yeah, because I don't want that to turn into the next graffiti haven for you, oh, Ursula. Please, no. Because those, no. those green figures that tell you it's like 70 feet this way or 14,000 feet that, that way. way. It's always yeah, hard to make the calculation. Which way do I run? Yeah, so the, yeah, the stick figures work. It's kind of creative. I'm just glad that nobody has had to really use them to go yeah. get to yeah, the access no tunnels and run out of there. Okay, But they are cool. What, wait, we're we're late, and I didn't mention there, there, there was some uh, hullabaloo in the newsroom because something is going to be delayed. Oh, uh, is it a big deal? <sighs> what is it? Uh, so sound Transit. <laughs> Shocking! <laughs> Delayed and over budget. Speaking oh. of that, uh, yeah, the federal way has always been hanging on by a thin th- thread of potentially getting done this year and was going to be pushed into next year. Most likely now it's official that it's going to be next year. Before be- they get Before they get it. Because they ran into a big geological problem there in oh. along the freeway where they were just going to build it at grade, but then they realized the dirt was too, it, it couldn't hold the structure, so then they were going to build something across it, and that still wasn't enough, and now they've had to build a, an elevated structure over this area along the freeway that's added a bunch more money and time. So, looks like 2026 for you guys. But 2024 for Linwood, later Yay. this year. There you go. Get the video camera. Head out and ride Yeah, you and thing. me. Let's ride that on the first day. Sully, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Do it again. Appreciate you. Okay, still ahead. Okay, well, I, I'm scratching my head on this next topic. Uh, there's uh, a, a, the newest life hack for working women, and I'm calling BS on this one. Okay, but we'll have that next on the G and Ursula Show.
This is the Chia and Ursula show today. That music is apropos for what we're about to talk about because we're going to be talking about shrooms. I tune in for the bumps on this show. I heard uh, I heard that they heard the theme from View to a Kill. You know that there you uh, go. The early eighties, little Durant Durant action over yeah, there. I saw the premiere night of it at the John Dance Theater in Bellevue yeah. back in I don't know eighteen seventy three or whenever that was. But you, I, you have I to figure that none of Nick's bumps are coincidental. No, they're it's very great. Well they're they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, it's like an editorial comment. So yeah, I love that. Um, yeah. So okay. So drug drug use. Kind of. There's this new sort of trends to do kind of uh, trendy drug use, right? Like whether it's legal marijuana, which has been legal in this state, I think for almost nine years now, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, of course, alcohol has been a legal drug for many, many decades. So the latest thing among trendy people, this comes from a Wall Street Journal story, specifically working women, including a woman who's 42 and says she works hundreds of hours a week. She says that along with the, the, the protein smoothie she has and the stuff she does to help her kids get ready for school and the vitamins, the turmeric and that sort of stuff, she says tops it off with a capsule of psilocybin, the psychedelic active ingredient for magic mushrooms. Because it gives her clarity and allows her to be her best self. Mm. And this article is, I found this article kind of sexist, personally, because it's only focused on working women. Yes. And it talks about empty nesters who worry, like, am I just a wife and a mother? Yeah, it's like, well, I, what I, about, I need this. Am I just I a husband and a calm father? My, calm my nerves <laughs> to deal with the daily and, grind. And, yeah, and, and I'm a total stick in the butt. I, you know, I've, I drink alcohol. I used to smoke marijuana back in high school and college. I voted against the marijuana thing because, you know, I know plenty of stupid, paranoid people who are that way because of marijuana. I thought, let's have more of those legally populating the state. Um, and I predicted it would be repealed you know, ten, nine, ten years ago, when, when, but I, didn't, I don't think that's going to happen now. But there is something that's kind of appealing about this. It's like when you read about those people taking the ADHD drugs where they get the clarity and stuff and they're like, boy, I'd love to have more clarity of thought and be able to get more done and not be so distracted by, you know, whether it's my low-level anxiety or whatever it is. but So there is something appealing about this. Yeah, I, I, I found this Wall Street Journal article. It, it was almost glamorizing the use of psilocybin. Yeah, little chocolates in your purse and yeah, stuff, so $85. Like, this is yeah. a quote. She says she hides her mushroom chocolate deep in her <laughs> freezer so her niece and nephew won't find it when they come over. That's where I always look for chocolate in, this, in people's freezers. This is a 48-year-old tech exec, mom of six, <laughs> Okay, mom of six, you two need help. I mean, that does get stressful. I like the really expensive. Says, like, they're, 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 go ahead. Go. She, well, she says her microdosing is her secret superpower for high pressure moments, like when she delivers big presentations. Which, I mean, didn't it that just, used to be called being a drug addict in the uh, old days. Well, and I don't want. I I, I know for some people, it, it's still considered in its infancy stage in terms of the research that has gone yeah, into whether there and, are. Yeah. But there are some therapeutic effects that that people swear by. I get it. People have talked to me because like you, I have come out. I I voted against the legalization of marijuana. I'm definitely in the minority. That's my voting for Shama Sawant the first time. That's kind of like cancels that out. I did not vote for it. I didn't have the option. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm not a big fan. I'm still of the belief that uh, removing the people who really need uh, marijuana for their medicinal purposes. Yep, yep. I'm still not convinced that legalizing it has done great things for society. 
especially with all the crime around the fact they can't handle the cash at a federal level. You have all these sort of dry, you know, these robberies of these places that the people assume have big wads of cash because they can't put it through the traditional banking system yet. Right. There's all sorts of weird side effects right. from the legalization of marijuana. Well, there there are, but you know, and and I understand it's the way everyone's going. Yeah. And so I yeah. feel like okay, this is where you know someone may say, well, you're just that's very old fashioned way of thinking. Well, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. You know, yeah. I, I I just base it on. You know, th- things that I've seen within my own family. Now, the whole mushroom thing, it, it's almost as if they're saying it's a, it, it, this is a quote. It's like the new glass of wine. Yeah, it's like it's like a gourmet addiction. Yeah. And is this really anything new? I don't know. And I need to rely on our well, listeners because I need to rely on others who maybe have a better feel for this. You're right. Maybe this you article was like evangelizing, <laughs> but it strikes me that, I mean, throughout our own country's history, I mean, post-war era in the U.S., there was women used barbiturates to aid in sleep, tranquilizers for anxiety, amphetamines for weight loss. There's the benzodiazepine era. There's the Prozac era. It's just that it seems to me that it's people in this era right are turning to something that is not pharmaceutical based. And it's microdosing. It's not taking like, I don't know, ounces of, of mushrooms or anything like that. What's your breakfast? I don't know. Mom's tripping again. But when you see like <laughs> Prince Harry proselytizing about, you know, Prince Harry, Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow, yeah. Oh, they're who, making uh, yeah. it. They're Julia making Roberts. It, Julia Roberts. This high end place in British Columbia where you can pay $15,000 to um, swim in a saltwater pool, eat from a vegetarian menu and take part in two psilocybin trips over four days for $15,000. So it's a certain demographic. There's no one's going to be prosecuting anybody going to that place. I don't know if they're probably legal in Britain. Now, I have a question, Ursula, because you've been a boss before, and a lot of these women are talking about how wonderful it is for them in the work environment. Like, oh, I have hundreds of resumes to go through, so I'm going to microdose on shrooms that day, and it really helps me get through it. What would you do if you found out an employee of yours was microdosing? Well, as of right now, it's still not legal, right? I mean, if it if if I knew and yeah. and it was impacting their, I mean, yeah, I, it would not work favorably. And I think our company policy is no use of illegal drugs. But what if it impacted their work in a positive way? <laughs> <laughs> then I just hope I wouldn't know about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that? Yeah. Don't ask, don't tell. But that, I mean, that is, a, that is a great question. Um, but I'm just curious. I want, I want to hear from all of you. I, we're getting some people who are saying, uh, you know, whether legalization. I want to ask that question because I don't know if it's just me and, and, and that yeah. I am biased because of things that I've seen within my own family. I have a very addictive yeah. personality, um, personalities in my family. I've also yep. seen someone I love dearly overdose on shrooms and it was not pretty. Oh, man. And yeah. uh, when when I talked to uh, doctors uh, at Seattle Children's Hospital, they told me that legalization of marijuana and the use of other drugs has just increased exponentially yeah. in recent years. And the stuff that's in it, I mean, there's a story out of the Bay Area where mu- magic mushroom bars were uh, contained this synthetic drug and, and chef you gave this to me it was a uh, there was a uh, DMT yes yeah which is uh, a synthetic drug that can be very harmful it it supposedly mimics the uh, same brain process that you go through when you die it's kind of like a quasi psychedelic 30% of these samples wow. contain trace Great amounts way to get ready for the yeah, day but apparently it's cheap <laughs> it's cheap and it's a way to let me look at uh, those resumes now that i've seen the light and turned back <laughs> yeah, Sue in the 360 says, well, this is a new twist on Mother's Little Helper. They used oh, to tie, yeah, which, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Little Dory Sounder, today's sign that the end is near. <laughs> Text us, 
888-476-9783 Cairo. Okay, still ahead in what's new at 10, we are going to have Matt Markovich and uh, we're going to talk about what is still alive in Olympia and what is uh, dead on arrival. That's coming up next on the Gene Ursula Show.